And welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Thank you for returning for yet another creepy episode. I have an awesome show lined up for you this evening, an episode filled with several ghostly tales from around the country. So turn out the lights, turn up the volume, and let's get at it. When I was a kid, I fell pretty hard for the paranormal. It all started with a Time Life book that my grandparents ordered off of an infomercial in the mid-80s. Now, I cannot remember the title of the book, but I do recall that it was filled with countless ghost stories. True ghost stories. Anything from the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall to the ghost of the infamous Queen Mary. My grandparents lived close by, so I'd spend countless hours reading through the entries and, more importantly, studying each picture as closely as humanly possible. This book was a gateway drug for me. I quickly graduated to Daniel Cohen books and even convinced my grandparents to buy the complete Time Life Paranormal series. That's where my love of cryptids, UFOs, and other unexplained events blossomed. But it all started with that book. Tonight I want to revisit the subject of that book, the one that really got me interested in all this. Hauntings. So without further backstory, I present to you Hauntings from Around the Country. Our first call comes to us from a repeat offender. If you recall, I featured Mariah's call about the Jersey Devil back in episode 19 of season 2. Well, tonight she's back with her very own tale about a specter in her childhood home. This is Mariah's call. Hey Derek, it's Mariah. I called about the Jersey Devil a while ago. Um, So I have another story for you if you have it. This is a ghost story, or apparition, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I know they're not your favorite, but it's what I've got right now. So when I was a kid growing up in the backwoods of northeastern Pennsylvania, um, my family was very, very religious. And I would see things. And my mom would tell me that they were spirits of one sort or another, but that I'm, I'm not here to judge how anyone sees these things. I just know that that's not what I believe. And as a child, 
it scared me. It didn't comfort me. It didn't make me feel better. Praying didn't help me. I just always felt scared and overwhelmed by these things. But I saw a lot of them. So I grew up in a small town um, in Pennsylvania uh, in the Pocono Mountains, smack dab between Philly and Manhattan. Um, If I drove north, I was probably... Uh, If there's ever no traffic, which never happened, but if there was no traffic, I could get to Manhattan in an hour and 45 minutes, and I could get to downtown Philly in the same amount of time. But where I was, like I said, I was in the mountains, the Poconos, um, deep in the heart of the Poconos, kind of there, and uh, a lot of weird stuff. Um, When my parents bought the home that I grew up in, they said that the previous owner refused to live in the master bedroom and my parents um, added additions to the home and so they built a bedroom above um, a living room so they lived in that room because they built a much bigger master suite for themselves so the previous master bedroom which the closets in that bedroom it became my bedroom and one of those closets I was told wasn't originally a closet it was directly above the kitchen and the closet in the kitchen supposedly used to connect to the closet in my bedroom and my bedroom before it became the master bedroom had been the servants quarters and it was where the servants were kept and i have some theories about that um and about what happened to that because I grew up in a turn-of-the-century farmhouse or what had been converted from a turn-of-the-century farmhouse. The house was really old, and creepy stuff just tended to happen in that room. Um, As an adult, I believe that I had uh, night terrors and sleep paralysis um, combined, Um, but when I woke up in the morning and I would tell my parents about the dreams about being held down and someone holding me down and not allowing me to scream and not letting me move, my parents told me that I had a demon attacking me and that if I just prayed it would get better. Um, But that wasn't the only creepy thing that would happen. Like, that would happen and I had friends who it would happen to when they spent the night in my room. Um, I developed very bad insomnia from this. And so the real story that I'm about to get to, the heart of it, I do blame a lot of that on the insomnia that developed from what I now believe to be sleep paralysis that happened and um, night terrors that I would stay up to avoid that happened in that bedroom. So I am a little kid and I have lots of insomnia and I am walking through my parents' home and I walk downstairs and I'm like seven, so it's, you're talking mid to late 90s um, because I'm in that six to nine age range. So it's in the 90s, northeast Pennsylvania, in the backwoods in the mountains, in the downstairs of this old turn-of-the-century farmhouse, little kid wandering around and something walks past me in like another room and I look up and there is a man walking around the living room and I'm standing in the kitchen staring through the open glass door at this man walking around confused but he's dressed like 
old, super old timey. I wouldn't say turn of the century. I would say Revolutionary War. But the man is dressed not, he's, he's not dressed in modern clothing. He doesn't look like he's in the 1990s like I do. He looks like he is from a different time and a different place. And he is walking around my living room and he's confused and he sees me and he disappears. Um, now that said, there was a creek that ran through my parents' backyard and what had been on the creek at one point was a mill. And um, when I lived there, just like the super old pilings of the mill were still there. And once again, I was told that that was like a turn of the century thing that hadn't been there in quite some time. Um, and I say creek to mean creek. It was never a river. It never flowed super strong. So it must not have been a terribly big deal. I don't know how much effect it had on the local economy at the time. It was it was a small little thing. Um, but like big enough that there were a few people who had been mill workers or I had been told. And, um, and a couple of nights later, I see the man in the same dress walking around the mill very, very confused. And once again, we make eye contact for a split second and then he disappears just like that. And I have no explanation. Um, I saw him a third time. My parents had two ponds in their backyard um, or in the backyard of the house that I grew up in and they were man-made ponds. And so the third time I saw him, he was walking around the pond. And he once again made eye contact with me. But the third time, he didn't look startled or anything like that. He never looked startled. The third time especially, he just looked confused. Um, and that was just like the feeling that I felt when I saw this person or this image of a person because it wasn't quite solid. He wasn't quite there. Um, he wasn't a shadow person, I don't think. But... It was just odd. He just looked confused, and I just felt from him emotions, and I felt, like, confused, and especially confused as I was a child, and these things tend to scare children. Um, so very, very odd, very confused. Um, I did have another experience um, seeing someone who I felt was dressed in period clothing, um, in that same area, about half a mile away from my parents' home, um, though there wasn't really anything close to it, there was a graveyard about half a mile away. Um, and uh, my brother and I used to play in the graveyard from time to time. Um, but one night when we were driving past, um, kind of in the dark as we were driving past, I looked up and walking across the top of the graveyard, which was sort of on a hill, um, walking across the, the crest of the graveyard with someone dressed in period clothing, and they made eye contact with me and nodded, and once again, this wasn't a solid person. It was more of an apparition, so very, very strange. Um, my brother, who was just a year younger than me, um, saw similar things. Um, he and I would discuss it. It was one of the reasons why we would play in the graveyard. We we wanted to somehow catch the apparitions. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, crazy ghost stories from my youth. Um, one of the many. Those are, like I said, I had three 
experiences with that one particular apparition around my parents' property. Um, several other ghost stories, more ghost stories than anything. But yeah, if you have any thoughts, like I said, I know I, I dealt with um, night terrors and sleep paralysis at the time and, and was suffering from insomnia even though I was you know, just a little kid. So I do kind of attribute it a lot to that. The fact that I saw the same apparition three times always um, always makes me wonder about it. It always makes me feel like there was something a little bit more there and like something might have been trying to connect to me, especially with, like I said, the third time I saw that apparition, I really felt emotion and just felt like moved to sadness and confusion um, just by the look. So... Um, I love your podcast. You're doing great work. Thanks, Derek. Bye. Thank you, Mariah. It's no secret that that area is steeped in history. Anytime you're discussing one of the original colonies, you have to take into account the historical imprint left by the lives and deaths of those that came before. Taking this into account, it's no surprise that she witnessed a spirit in historical dress. As for the sleep disorders... It's also no secret that paranormal activity is often attributed to bouts with these various issues. But who's to say that both can't be experienced? In short, sure, you suffered from disorders that led you to think you were plagued by demons, but you also might have legitimately witnessed something from the other side. After all, it seems that your three encounters occurred during your waking hours. I'll leave you with the same advice I give to so many other callers in similar situations. Do some research on the house and adjacent land. Find a few old photographs. You never know. You just might find a familiar face. Also, I should add that I never intended to suggest that I do not enjoy ghost stories. As I stated in the opening, ghosts were my first paranormal love. I merely hope to widen the show's topic by including other paranormal subjects. So if you have ghost stories, by all means, share them. There's always room for them here. Thanks again, Mariah. Coincidentally, as I'm writing this episode, I receive the following call. The ironic part being that the caller, Jesse, submitted this call he referred to as a ghost story. Here is his call. Hello, Derek. My name is uh, Jesse. I live in Southern California. Relatively new to the podcast, but uh, definitely been enjoying it. Not sure if this story is something that would be in the realm for your show, but I figured I'd call it in. Um, I am 39 years old now. This took place around, I want to say about four or five years old. Um, To preface this, I wanted to tell you, I did have night terrors when I was a child. Um, My mom says probably between about the age of two to about the age of four, I was experiencing pretty, pretty bad ones. And this story basically has something to do with that. Uh, my mother is a triplet, natural triplet, and when I was about three years old, my aunt had passed away of cancer. I was a young, young kid. I wasn't spending a lot of time around the hospital. Um, I was not really, really part of any of it. Um, I was spending a lot of time with my grandparents, spending time with aunts, cousins, things like that. When the funeral happened, I did not go. Um, I was basically, I think, with some cousins or something that watched me. So a few days after the funeral, uh, my mother's on the phone, obviously very distraught about what had happened. Uh, I believe she was talking to my uh, older aunt, which is my mother's older sister, and she still has this. Um, I walked up to her with a piece of paper that was a full-blown map of where my aunt had been laid to rest. 
and looked up at my mom on the phone and I said, uh, Antonita's happy where she is. She loves her tree. And I walked away. And I'd never been to the graveside. I'd never been to the funeral. And sure enough, my aunt is buried underneath a big oak tree. So this brings me to what I would consider a ghost story. Um, around four or five years old, I had been having night terrors. I generally slept with my door open. And one night, I woke up hearing something. I, I don't quite know what it was, but something woke me up. And my bed was underneath a window, and across the room was the open door. And there was my aunt standing there with a big smile on her face. And I remember being confused. Um, strangely enough, I have really, really vivid memories of this. I remember being very confused, and, and I asked her, do you want me to get up? And she never said a word. She shook her head no, and she smiled, and she put her finger over her, her mouth, kind of like, you know, be quiet. And I remember thinking, there's, there's a blue glow, not to her, but there was a blue glow coming from the hallway. Didn't think much of it, and I went back to bed. Woke up in the morning thinking, oh, you know, I must have had a pretty crazy dream. It must have been my mom. It was my mom's twin sister, you know, being young and being half asleep. You know, maybe it was my mom. My mom wasn't there that night. She had actually been uh, down with my grandparents, consoling them, and I had been with my sisters. So I asked my sisters, hey, did either you wake me up last night? No, they did not. The strange thing about this was for the next few weeks, I would randomly wake up hearing something. I don't necessarily remember words or anything, but I just remember being very comforted and, and being very warm, uh, waking up in the middle of the night, not being scared, nothing like that. And the night terror stopped. And I remember... About a year later, I had a really, really bad nightmare where one of the night terror repeat offenders was in my nightmare, and my aunt showed up in the nightmare. And again, no words were said. It was more of a calming, and never, ever had a night terror since then. Uh, the repeat offender of a lot of those night terrors never popped in my head again. And um, I did do some research later on in life, and, and I, I know that they say ghosts are very open to children because children don't know that they're supposed to not believe in ghosts. So I like that story. Hope it's uh, something that will help your show. Bye. Thank you, Jesse. i got to be honest here. I really want to see that map. If you still have access to it and are willing, please share it on the Monsters Among Us Facebook page or shoot it to me in an email. That's remarkable stuff. Thanks again for calling in. I have several calls to get through this episode, so I'm going to rapid fire on a few of these. Our next call comes to us from Gavin, whom shared his experience with a pair of glowing eyes in a Louisiana bayou. Well, he's back with another creepy call. Hey, um, my name is Gavin. I called with another story, but I've got a few other ones. These are mostly uh, a few ghost stories. I have one or two that actually happened to me, and one that happened to my, and a few that happened to my mom and family. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna call different times and try and separate those out because they're all they're all a little pretty different. Anyway, background: I lived in I, I said before I lived in Louisiana, but my dad worked for uh, CSX, the railroad, so we've moved around quite a bit. And when I was about 11 or 10, we moved up to Indiana. And we're in an app there. We lived in was a pretty big part of the city, so we, it wasn't like out in the middle of nowhere and like that. Anyway, my mom 
and me both have I don't know we I wouldn't consider us like see ghosts a lot or anything like that but me me and her are both kind of we 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 can tell when there's something not right we can tell when there are ghosts around we've both had experiences I can I can walk into a place and be like I'm creeped out or I feel like something's watching me pretty much right away and it's I'm normally pretty good about that like um, but I have nothing further than that like I'm not I don't claim to be any kind of psychic or like that but I can I can uh, tell if something's happened in the area it feels like anyway I've always had a story that when she was younger or she was uh, working on something at home and a family member had died without her knowing and she swears she heard her voice call her name while she was working and freaked her out and then later come to find out that person had died and she basically heard their voice um and but that's not the story what happened was i was living in we're like i said we're living in indiana and i was on my computer and no one else was home it was pretty quiet and i was just leaning back at my desk reading something and i stopped for a second it was really quiet it was pretty it was like damn it wasn't black and like that so i could i knew there was nobody around and i looked up and i was leaning back in my chair and i heard a voice behind my neck Literally in my ear, say my name's Gavin. And I jumped up, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up like, uh, I don't know, I was I was in full flight mode, no idea what was going on. I ran out the door, looking downstairs, nobody uh, nobody was there, ran up there, looked all around, nothing. And I couldn't figure it out. I was so petrified, there was goosebumps all over my body. Well, that wasn't the only experience that happened there. A little while later... I was, we had bunk beds, me and my brother. My brother slept on the bottom, I slept on the top. And right across the room was my computer desk that I was sitting at before. And I was trying to go to bed. It was pretty dim, but there was a street light outside the window. So it was, it was I could see. And my computer, it was, a, it was a newer one, so it's got a bunch of lights and stuff like that. When you move the mouse, the mouse lights up, the computer lights up. And the computer, or the mouse is sitting on uh, a flat pull-out thing, and the mouse and the wire is going uh, to the back. So I'm sitting there staring um, at my computer, just kind of like waiting to fall asleep, and all of a sudden the mouse goes completely sideways and gets thrown off about a foot off the computer desk, and then everything kicks on and starts, and I basically freak out and cover myself, don't scream or anything like that, cover and fall, try and fall asleep and just pray that whatever it is goes away. And the... I couldn't figure out what happened because if something were to have pulled the wire, the wire would have yanked backwards and pulled it uh, straight because the wire is fed through the back. I didn't hear anything else drop. There's no reason it should have went sideways like that. It just, I couldn't explain what happened. I suppose there, you know, could have been something weird, but there was nothing around it. And I could have fallen on top of it. It was bright enough so I could see. And I don't know, couldn't explain it and, uh, with the other thing that happened. I couldn't explain that. So anyway, that's my story. I will call back with uh, some of the other ones I've had. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gavin, for sharing your encounters. I appreciate it, as always. Our next story has its roots outside the country, but takes place here in the U.S. This is Bishop's Call. Hi, how you doing? Um, my name is Bishop, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I usually listen to your podcast while I'm at work, um, stocking shelves, but um, I have a bit of a ghost story. My family is actually pretty, uh, has 
you know, fair amount of contact with the supernatural. Uh, my family actually comes from the Caribbean, from Jamaica. Um, I've heard stories of like cousins being held by by uh, paranormal entities, or uh, you know, my family would sprinkle salt around um, to dispel to dispel the the spirit, and they would hear like screaming, like fly out the door and run down, and then fly down the road. They would hear like loud screaming noises. Um, but for me in particular, um, I had a situation where it was uh, 2013. And me and my wife were actually living with her grandparents. And my wife would tell me a story about how growing up, she would always see a man with a hat and a dark coat um, growing up, but he would never bother her. Um, You know, maybe it was in my mind, but, you know, being with her for a while, uh, I would start to see this this supposed image of this man um, in, in, in the apartment and like the way their hallway is set up is they have a mirror against the the entrance wall so you can actually see from the bedroom into the living room and uh, partly into the kitchen. So every so on late nights when it was dark, I would look into the mirror and maybe it was the light from the street um, hitting something to make it look like there was an image. But I would look into the mirror and I would see something standing there uh, but that wouldn't be the only times. Like sometimes I'd be coming from the living room and passing the bathroom, and for some reason the bathroom itself would be, just be like extra dark. I would feel something just, I wouldn't say sinister, but just I felt a presence. But uh, it was one night, it was me, my wife, and our, I think my daughter was two at the time. We were all sleeping in the living room, and <clears throat> we had like a, a small like pullout bed because we were staying for a little while and for some reason as I was sleeping I felt uh, pressure around my throat now I know of sleep paralysis I've looked it up many times but this felt a little different like I felt like it just getting I just felt pressure around my throat I felt it getting tighter uh, you know I it's like I appeared I felt like my eyes were open and it was just, I felt like a dark image was over me and I just, I just felt just, just pressure. I couldn't move, and I was like, just couldn't breathe. And every time I did try to gasp for air, like the pressure would just get tighter. I, it's like I said, and then I felt myself actually reaching over to my wife, and and trying to like pull on her shirt to wake her up. And I felt like my fingertips actually touch her shirt as I feel like, like my air, my air supply being cut off. And um, it just, it just, I didn't understand what was going on because I've had sleep paralysis before. I've had situations where I, you know, was half sleep, half awake, and I couldn't move. You know, this was just completely different. I just felt like somebody or something was actually trying to, uh, to you know, to uh, to harm me, and I couldn't understand why. Or, you know, if did I did I do anything to upset it or whatever, you know, <clears throat> whatever have you. And it just I was just so scared because it, it is just this I've had situations with paranormal events before, but nothing of this caliber. It was just so just alarming and unnerving. Um 
that I, um, it's just, and then, I don't know, I just don't, I just, it was just a weird feeling. I just, it was just, it's still, to this day, it's a little hard to explain, but I was able to actually kind of get up out of it, um, and I sat up in bed, I looked around, and, you know, everything was dark. You could see the street lamp, the light from the street lamps coming into the room a little bit. But everything was dark. I looked into the hallway because, like I said, you could look you could look from the bedrooms into the mirror, into the living room where we were staying, and vice versa. Thank you, Bishop. Bishop's call actually dropped at the end, but I think enough came through to get a good idea of what happened to him. It's hard to say whether or not this was simply sleep paralysis that he experienced. It's easy for us to label experiences from afar, until it happens to you. One thing Bishop touched on was his Caribbean roots. There certainly are some interesting stories to come out of that area of the world, not only of ghosts, but also zombies and other crazy voodoo happenings. So, Bishop, if you have any details on those stories, I'd love to hear those as well. Very cool stuff. Thanks again for sharing. Up next is a short encounter from the state of Massachusetts. This is Deidre's Call. Hi there. My name is Deidre, and my story happened around 2010 or so in um, Brockton, Massachusetts. I was staying at my then-boyfriend's house, and to give a little background on the house, it was built around probably the early 1900s, and um, his grandparents bought the house in probably the 80s. And um, I, they always claimed that there was always weird things that happened in the house, um, from a bowling ball falling from the attic to just weird feelings um and I can say from staying there that I always felt like I was being watched and it just I never really felt comfortable in that house um it just I don't know even even being alone I just never felt like I was alone but um back to the original story um my boyfriend and I were all alone in the house. We were upstairs in his bedroom. Um, it was about probably like 3 a.m. And we were just, um, you know, just talking. Just, you know, Saturday night, just hanging out. And um, they had a piano down in one of the rooms on the main floor. And... Um, all of a sudden, I'm sta- I'm sitting there talking, and I hear the piano just start to play. And um, I kind of continue to talk because I didn't really, it didn't it didn't really click as to what that was, because we did have the TV on. Um, it was on low, but you know, and and then finally, I look at my boyfriend, and I'm like, Do you hear that? And I could tell he didn't really want to admit that he could hear it, but he said, you know, yeah, yeah, I can. And uh, 
I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what it could be. Um, I've tried to think of, you know, anything I can logically that could explain what it was. Um, but it was definitely the piano playing and, uh, I don't know. Crazy, crazy. Thanks. Thank you, Deidre. Your story reminded me of something that happened when I was a kid. When my great-grandmother died, my brothers and I were given her old, creepy, portable organ. This thing technically worked, but emitted sounds that were not of this earth. Why it was given to us was beyond me. But at any rate, fast forward a year or so. This thing sat in a storage closet. We wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, one day, my brother whom I may or may not have scared silly with countless ghost stories, both real and made up, had to venture into this storage closet for some reason or another. To say he was afraid of this room would be a vast understatement. While he was in there, I was in my room directly above the storage room playing my newly acquired recorder. You know, those annoying plastic recorders you're given in grade school. Well, apparently to him, that sounded like the long-neglected and completely unplugged portable organ. Apparently, he thought it suddenly had come to life. It took my parents hours to calm him down, and to this day he still swears that it was the organ, and not my terrible recorder playing reverberating through the ductwork. Anyway, thank you Deidre for taking the time to call in. Our next submission is quite lengthy, so I'm going to play portions of the call, but I will post the entire thing in the show notes for tonight's episode. I encourage everyone to go to monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash show notes and check it out. Here is a portion of that call which was submitted anonymously. I'm the videographer for a large cultural institution. My office is in the building that has rooms that get rented out for events, weddings, meetings, etc. It's in this building that I've had all of my strange experiences. None of them have been scary, but I have tried to find an explanation for all of them, and found none. Most of my experiences have happened in the off-season, when the building is pretty empty. I'm the only one here. Now for the stories. I occasionally hear the sounds of papers shuffling or chairs moving in the office next door. I always assume it's event staff, but when I open the connecting door to say hello, the noise abruptly stops, and I'm met with a dark, empty room. I've considered that the noises might be mice, air moving, or cleaning staff, but I've never seen any evidence that it could be any of those things. One day, I heard the deadbolt on the event's outer door unlock and the light switch flip, all familiar sounds, as I often arrive before them, but through the other door, so I'm never in their office if they aren't. For some reason, that day I'd been waiting for them to arrive, so I immediately opened the connecting door, and again was met with an empty room. The lights were off, and the door was closed and locked. At times, the unexplained noises are so constant and distracting that I leave the connecting door open, since when the door is open, there are no noises. Now, whenever I hear the noises and find an empty room, I just say good morning. A few years ago, I was working on cataloging old tapes in the projection room on the second floor. The room is long, about half of the building's length, and three walls are lined with shelves, while the third wall is a window that looks over the event room. I was at the end farthest from the door. After I'd been up there for about an hour, I clearly heard someone walk into the room and start moving boxes near the door. The noise went on for a little bit before I looked up to see who it was, and then I saw I was alone. 
After speaking with the only other two people in the building, I learned that no one had gone upstairs but me. If I need to walk to the other side of the building, I usually cut through the event room so that I don't bother the people in the office. A few years ago, I was walking through the storage closet and hallway to get to the event room when I heard the sound of cables being set up. This is quite a loud noise that I hear all the time as staff set up and break down tables in the event rooms almost every day. It's a very distinctive sound. The first set of legs opens, the second set of legs opens, and then the table gets flipped onto its legs. It goes ka-chunk, ka-chunk, flip. Because the rooms are so large, the sound also echoes slightly. That morning, I heard that very common sound emanating from the event room, but when I pulled the door open, the room was completely empty. No tables, no people, not even a single chair. I made a circuit of the entire building, but that morning, not a single person was in the building but me, and every door was closed and locked. Two walls of my office are lined with floor-to-ceiling shelves that contain old tapes. Some of the shelves are so packed that if you try to pull out one tape, the tapes on either side of that one will pull out too. One of those walls is shared with the storage room next door, and it's just drywall. Originally, the storage room and my office were one big room that was eventually split in half. I came into work one morning and found two beta tapes lying about two feet from the wall. They came from shelves that are on that shared wall. I thought perhaps there'd been an event, and staff had been too rough when putting their supplies away and hit the shelves on their side of the wall, which could have caused the shelves on my side of the wall to shake, thus spilling the tapes out. However, the two tapes came from two separate shelves, both of which are tightly packed with videotapes. There were two empty spaces where those tapes belonged, but not a single other tape was out of place. Not only that, but the beta tapes are only about a centimeter shorter than the shelves, and so are a very tight fit. To remove them from the shelf, you have to pull them straight out, otherwise they get stuck. And yes, the tapes on the floor were definitely from those two shelves. All of my tapes are labeled, and in chronological order, so there was no question of where those tapes came from. I went into the storage room and banged on their shelves as hard as I could, but their shelves are freestanding and are about an inch from the wall. No matter what I did, the shelf never moved enough to even touch the wall. I then opened and slammed my door several times. Neither method caused any beta tapes to fall off the shelves, or even move, but slamming the door resulted in a stack of small DV tapes falling off of one of the shelves. However, whatever had caused the beta tapes to end up on the floor obviously had no effect on the smaller, more unstable DV tapes. Someone had to have taken those tapes off the shelves and put them on the floor, but I have the only key to my office. The cleaning staff doesn't even have a key. After that incident, I set up my camera in the corner and let it run every night for a month. I never caught anything paranormal, but I also confirmed that no one is entering my office without my knowledge. A few other unexplained noises have occurred recently, but nothing too interesting. However, I'll be keeping my eyes and my ears open. Thank you for your submission. Oftentimes, ghostly activity is a slow trickle rather than a downpour. I know I've said this before, but so often people don't even notice the activity until they step back and start tallying up all the strange happenings. This seems to be one of those places. Thanks again for sharing. I have one more call to share, but before I do, I have some business to touch on. There are only five episodes left until the season three finale. And as many of you probably know, I try to do something fun for the close of each season. This time, I'm taking suggestions. So if you have an idea for a theme for the upcoming season finale episode, please shoot me an email or reach out to me on Facebook. Thank you in advance for that. 
Okay, now for that final call. If you remember a story I submitted earlier this season about a ghost of a woman in a wheelchair at a summer camp, well, Kevin is back with further details about those events and with a few additional experiences as well. This is Kevin's call. Hey Derek, uh, this is Kevin from California. I was the ghost of the old lady in the wheelchair that I uh, called you about a few weeks ago and uh, wanted to call back because I had actually something to add to that. Uh, I forgot that we had a cook for the entire you know summer camp and she lived outside of the um, cafeteria and um, or the chow hall whatever you want to call it and uh, she lived in a trailer for the summer just outside of the kitchen there and she reported one night that it was around 10 30 11 I believe and of course you know all the campers and counselors everybody was in our cabins asleep she said she started to hear a uh, banging on the side of her trailer and uh, went outside to open the door and investigate and uh, nothing was out there there was no camp counselor no camp director or anything like that no nobody was or even campers like pulling a prank or something so then she went back inside locked the door kind of shaken up and she said all of a sudden uh the trailer started rocking back and forth very violently and banging again and, and different things like that so the next morning she went to the camp director and said i don't know what's going on and she didn't know about the other you know ghost story that i i had relayed in my last call to you uh but she quit on the spot and uh they had to scramble to to find uh the uh cooks that uh, worked at my high school to, to come up for the rest of the summer and uh, and help run the kitchen and stuff. So uh, just an interesting thing that I had uh, left out of my original story, if you wanted to, to share that. Um, but the old lady in the wheelchair on the highway, that still is uh, chills me to this day. So, And then also I had... Uh, two other stories, if you'd be interested in hearing them. One's about my grandfather that he told me years ago that um, when my dad and my two aunts, his older and younger sister, were asleep, uh, this took place uh, probably in the, I'd say, 1950s in uh, the avenues of San Francisco, uh, namely uh, Kirkham Street. And he and my grandmother, my grandfather, and grandmother were up watching TV and their living room was at the front of the house. And then there was a long hallway that led to the back of the house to the bedroom where my aunt slept and also um, to uh, my dad's bedroom in the, in the way back. He lived in, or he slept in the sunroom. And my grandfather said he got up to get a drink or something from the kitchen. And he looked down at the end of the hall towards my aunt's uh, bedroom and saw a figure of a woman. And at first he thought it was my older aunt that had gotten up to go to the bathroom or something. But as he looked closer, he said it really looked like an aunt of his from Chicago. And she turned and walked into the bedroom. So 
So he went back there to investigate, and he looked into my aunt's bedroom, and there was nobody in there except my two aunts asleep, of course. So he thought that was weird. And the next morning, he got a phone call that his aunt had passed away uh, during the night. So he always said that he thought it was her um, projecting herself and coming to, to say goodbye to him and stuff since he was out in San Francisco and all that. Uh, the last story takes place at a movie theater in the uh, town that I live in. It's in Castro Valley. I won't name the theater, though, but if people know where that is, it'll be pretty easy to figure out. So my mom and dad took uh, my two kids to go see a movie at the movie theater there, and it was an afternoon that day, and my son and my dad were both wearing um, Chicago Fire Department uh, shirt, and I think my dad had a hat on, too. It was his, uh, his cousin back there was a Chicago firefighter. And the movie theater is supposed to be haunted. Um, the staff there have reported hearing footsteps inside the theater late at night and seeing a shadow figure near the front of the screen uh, and different things like that. Well, there's an upper section where you can sit on, not really a balcony, but more kind of like a raised section of seat, and then there's a lower section. Well, they decided to sit in the upper section, and um, during the movie, my dad said from the side, you know, from his peripheral vision, he saw, like, movement, like a kind of like a shadowy figure come up the stairs and get really close and go by him, and he said he noticed that the temperature in the theater it dropped, it got cold, and he turned to look up the, the stairs, and there was nothing there. And he swears that, you know, yeah, it was like a, a dark, shadowy figure that got close to him, and the the temperature uh, in the theater, like, you know, got, got really cold all of a sudden. So uh, the, th the reason why I told the story or, or mentioned the fire uh, uh, department angle is supposedly a fireman died in that theater years ago and if you wear something related to the fire department or alameda county fire or anything like that it seems to be like a trigger object that does you know increase your chances of uh seeing the uh the figure and all that so I'm going to go back to the theater myself. I've never personally had any experience, and I've probably seen 10 to 15 movies there. Uh, but who knows? Maybe uh, I might be calling you back with my, uh, my own experience. So thanks for the time, and uh, love the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, thanks again. Thank you, Kevin. I'm wondering what would pound on a cook's trailer like that. To be honest, thoughts of Sasquatch fill my mind, and I know that area is rife with sightings. I also wonder what she thought it was. As for your other calls, the story about the dying ant is a very familiar one. Going back to the book I spoke of in the intro for this episode, it was filled with similar stories, typically involving one of the world wars where a fighting son would be seen walking up the driveway or down the street, but he never arrives home. Hours and sometimes days later, the family learns that the soldier was killed at the very same time he was seen walking. One of those classic ghost stories. 
And in regards to your final story, please let me know if you experience anything. Maybe arrive early enough to play a fire siren sound on your phone, or perhaps the sound of old fire bells. Maybe that will trigger something, or someone. Thanks again, Kevin, for calling in. And that does it for this episode. I want to thank you all for tuning in. But before I go, if you like what you hear and would like to donate, please head over to the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the donate page. There you can leave a donation of any amount, and literally any amount will go a long way to help ensure that this show continues in the future. Of course, you can also write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think it goes without saying that sharing the show with a friend is also a huge help. I received quite a few new reviews this past week, and thankfully, they were all positive. So thank you very much for those that took the time to do that. And lastly, if you have a story and you'd like to share it on the show, simply call the Monster Hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can submit anonymously through the Report Your Sightings tab on the show's webpage. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. 